Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. It's Friday. I know it's Friday. I don't know what the hell day it is, but it's. I know it's Friday, or the date. I'm, I'm unaware. Memorial Weekend. Day. Memorial Weekend. You know how I found out it was Memorial Weekend? I was at your gym yesterday, and Ashley told me that the gym was closed this week. And I said, why, why is the gym closed? And she goes, well, Monday's Memorial day. Right. I had no idea. So you're going out of town. Yeah. I'm heading, uh, my son and I are hopping in the car. We're heading out to Indianapolis for the race. Oh, fantastic, man. That's so and you've done this before. You and your son have gone before. Yeah, we, um, this is probably the fourth or fifth year him and I have gone, but nice. my family had a tradition of going forever. I had an aunt and uncle that went, oh my gosh, for like 30 years <laughs> straight. So you grew up in Pennsylvania. Yes. And so that that was Ohio, Indiana. So it's Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana. Yep. That's a pretty good trip. How, how far was that? Oh, yeah. It took, oh, man. It was probably about eight, ten hours from the east from side. Your, of, from your I home. Mean, in, heck, it takes like four and a half, five hours just to get across Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Pretty, <laughs> right, yeah, it's right. a wide state. And uh, so it was, it was, a, it was a trek. Uh, but I went, I started going with my aunt and uncle when I was in first grade. I went every year until I was in 11th grade. Okay. And then I didn't go when I was in college or whatnot. Then my brother and I uh, started going again, uh, probably around 2015. And then we've gone every year since again. Oh, so very but cool. my aunt and uncle had gone for like 30 or 40 years straight. That was, you know, and so your, does your brother have a son also or yes. Yeah. So you got yeah. the four of you will meet up or what's, yep. what's him that? and a son and uh, we'll meet. It's about Indianapolis is about halfway between us now. Okay. Cool. So we'll meet halfway and then spend the weekend, go to the race and nice. hop in the car and make the Archers drive yeah. home <laughs> after, after the race. Yeah. I'll usually drive probably about halfway okay. after the race. I I've, I've Ironmaned it, mm-hmm. but when it starts getting dark. Well, you were commenting. And you're driving by yourself with an 11-year-old who's no help whatsoever keeping yeah, you man. awake. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> he he's, in fact, he's got headphones. Yeah, in or he's oblivious to what's going on. Or you look over at one point, he's just he's sound asleep drool coming out of his mouth, right? Yeah. So you can't swap out. It is about a ten, it's about a 10-hour drive from Omaha, isn't it? Nine or 10 yeah, hours? Yeah, nine-ish. Like yeah. I've yeah. made that drive because, you know, Nick goes to school or went to school in Indy, and so we would make that drive, and... You were commenting, man. I don't. I used to be able to drive cross country, no problem, as a young man. Just get some caffeine going and take some Vibrin, as you reminded me. <laughs> yeah. Remember the handful of Vibrin or oh, something? Oh man! And then just plow, you know. Sure. I, I cannot do that. Well, for one thing, I can't drive past a rest stop anymore because you know I'm old. <laughs> so <laughs> you just cannot. I mean, I pull well, off at every rest well, stop. How, whether how I about the old school days where the parents where they told you to pee in a bottle because dad didn't want to stop. We did. He just kept going. Yeah. Pee in a mason just jar. Keep basically. Going. Just keep going. You know? I can't. You know, my, my thing is, is that in, in college, I used to drive. I went to college in Colorado Springs, so I would drive from Colorado. I drove from Colorado Springs to Pennsylvania one time nonstop like oh. an idiot. Like you said, eating Vibrant along the way. Oh, that's like a and 20 hour. I got, I got to. Uh, I remember this clearly. I got to Ohio, in fact, and I, I started I started shaking. <laughs> and, and I pulled. I, I literally pulled over. I found a little place on the side of the road. I pulled over on the side of the road and just, just slumped over and passed out. <laughs> and I woke up like two hours later, like, oh, where am I? Oh, yeah. And then I was like, 
Well, I just started it back up and, and kept, kept going. going. I used to do that. I'd pull over and just fall asleep in the rest stop for an yeah. hour. And you wake up to some dude like looking at you through your car. Window <laughs> or something, you know, or whatever, you know? It was, it's tough, man. Well, I, I fully understand why uh, they made federal mandate truck drivers had to stop and rest for 10 hours. Absolutely. Uh, I, cause for me, as soon as it starts getting dark is when I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's hard for me to stay awake driving. Well, I mean, these are the night. natural yeah. circadian sleep patterns, man. I mean, when it gets dark, you sleep. And you can't you can't necessarily fight that off just because you don't want to fall yeah, asleep. Yeah, for me, even after a while, no amount of energy drink will keep me up. I just mm -hmm. start falling asleep. Just It's just the mundane mm -hmm. act of driving. And, and, and driving from, uh, like, Nebraska to indiana or pennsylvania oh, it's a pretty boring drive yeah. frankly i drove one time for whatever reason uh coming from Colorado springs i always took 80 because mm -hmm. 80 would drop me off not far from my house right I, for whatever reason in my youth i was like i want to try a different route so i decided to go 70 across kansas that's even worse you talk about contemplating suicide <laughs> and, and i don't i don't i don't mean to, to talk about suicide lightly but I have never been so bored, I think, in my life, driving across rough. Kansas on 70. Yeah, that's a rough go. That's you a start rough hallucinating. Go. Yeah. I'm like, I, I thought I drove by the same cow three times. I right. didn't know. It's terrible. Well, then, And then you go into Missouri and 70 on in, in Missouri between Kansas City and St. Louis may be the worst stretch of road in the country. I got pulled over in the middle of Kansas, and I was just driving, not paying any attention. And you start going fast. I mean, it's a straight. Yeah. You could fall asleep and probably right. not drive off the road. And I was just kind of going around cars, and all of a sudden I see the cop lighting me up, and I use my signal to get over. And, of course, he pulls over, and he's like, bit of a hurry? I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to get home. <laughs> he's like, um, you don't seem to like using your signal until I pulled you over. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just driving around here. He's like, you know, it's pretty reckless driving around here like that. And I just, without thinking, I go, what am I going to hit? There's another car between me and the horizon. And I'm like, there's literally maybe an oil rig that I randomly yeah. passed by. It was, he didn't care for that comment, but yeah. I got a ticket. <laughs> it is true though, man. It is. And something about that, as you said, the mundane, or just the repetitiveness of it. It's the same for 500 miles. I mean, that's kind of the same thing. I don't I hate, I'm not actually trying to even stretch this into the workplace, but I think it's no different than the guy that has a job that's very routine and repetitive. Oh, you know, 100%. Your mind goes somewhere else and you start to drift and you can't always control that. Any, any mundane task, you just start to daydream. I mean, how many times have we driven home from work and then don't remember the drive? Mm -hmm. You pull into your drive when you're like, how the hell did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> you right. remember leaving work and you remember pulling in your driveway. Right. And then and that happens, especially and then now you mul you multiply that by uh the length of the day. And then if you're operating heavy machinery or dangerous equipment, it's mm -hmm. easy to see how accidents happen. And that's why, you know, we, we have I teach a concept called flexible workforce, which is uh, if you work for me and you're working a piece of machinery, I'll try to train you on as many pieces of machinery as possible so I can move you around. Mm -hmm. So we prevent that that repetitiveness, mm -hmm. that mundane, that boring work where you just, your mind starts to drift. I'm moving you around a little bit. And um, and that's why breaks are important. That's why law mandates we take breaks. Mm -hmm. What is it on an hour day, a 15-minute break and a 10-minute break? Is that still the rule? Uh, not in Nebraska. <laughs> but they don't even require breaks in Nebraska, to my knowledge, which is unfortunate. They do, I, and I'm not a wage an hour guy, mm -hmm. but 
There are, there are certain requirements for lunch breaks if you work beyond a certain number of hours per sure. day, but I don't know if you're required. If I remember work. right, and, and who's ever listening, this might be a let, let us know. Uh, when I was working uh, at a company, now we were doing 12-hour shifts, but if I remember right, on an eight-hour shift, you had to have a half-hour lunch, mm-hmm. a 15-minute break, and a 10-minute break. Okay. But if it extended beyond that, you had to add another 15-minute break. It could be. It could like be. Yeah, I'm not uh, an expert in that stuff, man. And, by uh, any means. But it makes sense, right? Because you got to get people up. You got to get them moving around. Um, well, and you make a really interesting comment, man, because in the in the safety world, we do a lot of job rotation to try to limit um, ergonomic stressors. You know, sure. if you're doing the same thing over and over, it can really be uh, it can wear on you physically, but it can wear on you mentally as well. And well, that's an so this job rotation thing. No, it's um, huge. And it's not even it's not in dangerous work environments. I think about just in the office, like how many times in college did you? Did you wake up laying on your keyboard? Right? You were typing a paper and all of a sudden you wake up, you're laying on your keyboard. Uh, just sitting at a desk and just looking at the screen all day wears yeah, you out mentally. And, and you just forget what you're doing. And before you know it, you were staring at the screen for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. not doing haven't anything. Moved, haven't haven't moved. Haven't blinked. So you, you have to get up and walk around. You got to you gotta hit the reset button. Yeah. And, and, and that's why when you're driving, you know, you pull over and get up, walk around a little bit, go out, get mm-hmm. something to drink. Um, force yourself to stop. I drive uh, a state-of-the-art uh, Subaru, yeah. as you have seen in your I've parking lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because the Subaru tells me when the car has been on for two hours, and so I think it's. In, hey, in, man, you're probably asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I think it, it should be like snapping his fingers or something to, to wake me up. But I think the intention is that yeah, you we you've been driving for two hours. Take a break. Yeah, you know, I mean, and actually. It's not I will ill-conceived. Say this. I mean, I don't love it when it does that, but it's not an ill-conceived the, concept. Um, no, the, the technology, the driver assistance technology, the trucking industry has really pushed this really hard. Uh, the driver assistance to make sure people are staying awake, make sure they're taking their breaks, uh, making sure they're staying in the lane, especially big trucks like that. You know, I, you know, because I teach supply chain, just there's going to be a shortage of truckers in the next five to 10 years of upwards of 200,000 truckers. Mm. And when that happens, we're in trouble big time because everything moves by truck at some point. It does. Um, but this idea of autonomous trucking, uh, companies in town here, Werner for one, are really on the cutting edge of autonomous trucking. But that kind of scares me, a vehicle that big mm-hmm. driving by itself. But the drive towards that has brought in a lot of technology to help drivers stay awake mm-hmm. stay in the lane yeah the lane um, assist the, all that stuff i think is yeah. fantastic and uh even if it's just something that vibrates the steering wheel mm-hmm. every so often to make sure you're staying awake that's a good uh, point. i, I think yeah. it's hugely important just uh these long-haul truckers you know driving 15 mm-hmm. 16 hours a day before they have to take their 10-hour break um i, I think it's huge and so technology I, i'm still not sure i'm i feel safe at driving by itself yeah we're going that way it, it's yeah. going to be that way but uh-huh. We were we were over at uh, the Midwest Safety Cooperative had a meeting last night over at Kloss, the combine plant here in Omaha assembly plant. Speaking of autonomous vehicles, yeah, and so yeah. that came up during the conversation. We, I mean, these these combines are so sophisticated, and with all the GPS and all of that tracking, they're amazing. And uh, the the technology to have them drive autonomously, you know, you can basically drive it around your your plot of land, you know, your field once, and then just turn it loose and uh sure. one of my students uh, works for Klaus. he's actually over in germany now oh really and uh, they sent him over there he's he's one of the head trainers uh teaching people how to fix and operate mm-hmm. these things and he, he would show me videos all the time uh where they would have a combine 
and then the trailers where would throw whatever it was harvesting in and these trailers would be lining up and this thing's driving autonomously the trailer will come up when it's full it leaves another one pulls up all autonomously and that's ridiculous man which if you think about the efficiency of harvesting and planting yeah and you can just gps them and set them i mean thousands of acres mm-hmm. which is fine because a combine's not going to run over anybody out there you wouldn't hope you would hope not it, you would hope not uh, <laughs> right. you know so that doesn't scare me as much as a tractor trailer loaded to the gills running down interstate, running 80. Down interstate 80 and hits yeah. a turn too fast right right but at the same time you could argue that computers are, are more intelligent and safer than people in all likelihood yeah in all likelihood you know that's why we automate that's as fast as we can well that that's interesting you say that and i think those are fascinating concepts i think i would love it if they actually um perfected that technology out in a cornfield somewhere rather than down interstate 80 so you know they can maybe adapt those technologies to the tractor which trailer is always world. fascinating to me the crossover of, of industries where you don't realize a lot of technology we use was probably propagated in the agriculture industry mm-hmm. or in this industry over yeah. here and then it, it filtered its way over into everyday use so yeah I and mean, you, you'll see a lot of that stuff agriculture is working on will filter out into everyday mm-hmm. use and i think that's amazing and, and that's it is it's the beauty of you know, especially in business, you, you can't just pigeonhole yourself into your industry. Like I run a martial arts school, but if I only looked at what other martial arts schools are doing, I would never improve. I can I can take something from what a construction company is doing. I can take something from mm-hmm. what a farmer is doing and apply it uh, into my area. That's interesting you say that too, man, uh, because, you know, I've been doing this safety stuff for 35 years and you be, you become very pigeonholed. You become basically trained to think in a certain way. And you almost have to look outside of the realm of that safety profession, you know, into psychology, into process improvement, into those areas to try to find ways to continue to improve this stuff. Because, I mean, when you've been doing it for a while, I mean, you just kind of get into a lane and you just. Yeah, it's like anything stuff. else. You, you realize uh, how far reaching it can be. Um, but it's easy to stay in a box and, and stay within your expertise, just all of us in general. But then you realize, wow, there, okay, there is a psychology piece to this, which is when we had Katrina on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, okay, yeah, there's that piece, and there's a leadership piece, there's a management piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you start to see it as, as a larger whole. You see the aggregate of what's mm-hmm. happening in the safety realm mm-hmm. rather than just that like mindset the safety program. And, and, and now, now it takes a, a bigger life of its own. Yeah. But, but now it can be more effective. Mm-hmm. And now you can you can attack it in different ways and you can appeal to people in different ways and you can get people to adapt and and apply it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So everything benefits as a result. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's always funny to me. It's like, oh, well, that's you know, that's what construction people do. It's like, uh, OK, you're in banking, but they have a very good methodology. Why can't you right. apply it over here? Uh, absolutely. I think that's cool. And I think we do have to kind of get out of our lane in order to find opportunities to improve sometimes because we do get really focused on what we sure. know. And I think that's why um, I'm a big fan of networking and teaching in a business college. I think networking is huge just because you get to hear other ideas mm-hmm. or bounce ideas mm-hmm. and you hear other people talk and you're like, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Well, that's a pretty good idea. I wonder if I can apply it over here or you can just, Hey, how'd you guys do that? You know, and mm-hmm. then start talking and you figure out, wow, I could, I could do that where I'm at. Yeah. And, and networking with with other industries you know so uh, you know from the safety standpoint you know lots of different industries have different approaches to safety Mm -hmm. 
get out and talk to people mm-hmm. like, go to networking events go to join networking groups just kind of pick people's brains as to what's going on and, and how they're doing things it, it's real easy for uh, a safety manager in a construction company only to focus on other construction companies and other talk to other safety managers and construction companies right. and, and you start to just sit in that lane and and not go okay well you know there, there's safety all around us yeah how are the truckers doing it how are how do they do it in healthcare how do how, they do it in industry how are the marinas doing it like how yeah, you know there's, there's issues everywhere and it's like man that's a great way of going about tackling this issue exactly well that's kind of the whole point of this program that's kind of the point of like the midwest safety cooperative we started a couple of years ago we just have a group of safety people and people on the periphery of safety leadership people suppliers whatever and every other every other month we go visit a different shop and look at how they do things and i know that some of the safety folks last night that were at class looking around for the first time that they'd been in an assembly facility like that they were looking at things going oh wow that's kind of interesting how you do that i I personally i love that i think that's a great approach that's the benefit learning learning from others and and just Mm -hmm. when you see something new where did that benchmarking concept come from? It's, we used to call that benchmarking where you would. It's hundred percent. Yeah. Is, well, it a, is it a Japanese thing or where did that come from? Man, I have, I have no idea the history of it. It, it likely is. It thing. likely is. Just, uh, when, when it comes to industry and efficiency, most everything tends to come from um, that part of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, benchmarking takes on a couple of different meanings. You know, benchmarking is you look at it like, okay, what's the gold standard out there? Can we achieve that? Um, benchmarking is uh, what's the industry standard, right? So you'll have an industry standard, like what we call the minimums. Everybody has to do these things. So that's a benchmark mm-hmm. that we have to achieve. But then you look at, okay, who's doing it the best? Okay, that's a benchmark right? as as well. And let's everybody try to get there. And generally speaking, when, when, when a company figures out how to do something really well, everybody races to catch up. Right. So what we call a winner, like your company does something that separates you from everybody else and you start to win. And then everybody goes, oh, we got to catch up. Right. And everybody starts to do it as well. And, and now that becomes what we call a qualifier or the new benchmark. OK. So like winners always become qualifiers because everybody catches up, which is how the industry gets better and better and better. Like you always it's a it's an arms race. You're raising the stakes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I figure out how to do something. Everybody will catch up eventually. Now, now the real goal is what we call our competitive advantage is to figure out how to do something everybody else can't copy. Right. But in in the safety realm, we we do want to copy. Right. Mm-hmm. That's really not something we should keep to ourselves across right. the board. That's a great point. Right. Now, safety can be a competitive advantage. Right. We, we're much safer than everybody else, and we're more efficient probably because of that. And because mm-hmm. of that, we keep our costs down. Uh, so mm-hmm. that can be a competitive advantage for sure. But uh, in, in terms of the greater good in humanity, mm-hmm. you know, I would hope that safety professionals are sharing yeah, they do. information really more than keeping and and those benchmarks are all raising together, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody figures something out and it's working really well, we share it and everybody you know, mm-hmm. adapts it or, or adopts it. That really is, again, an interesting point because safety folks do tend to be more generous with their information and perhaps it's it's um, not as tightly held as, you know, like when we were, again, we were at class last night and uh, Joanne Hayworth, one of the engineers over there was giving us the tour primarily and talking about the fact that, you know, class is a German company. It has a very German culture. There are a lot of things that they are not comfortable sharing, you know, operationally, procedurally, but, Which from, I get. A, but from a safety standpoint, um, why, why would you conceal some of those things? As you said, I mean, if you're good at it and you're doing it, 
you're probably able to pass the benefits of that program onto your customers, either through cost savings or whatever sure. that is. But yeah, safety folks tend to be very generous with the ideas because they probably got it from somewhere else as well. That, and, and, and truth told, safety is not a revenue generating center. At least so, it doesn't appear to be. So your your senior leaders aren't as tight about it as oh, you're not giving away a trade secret. You know, it's, it's not making us money. So you're not giving up anything in right. terms of advantage in, in the market or the industry. Right. So it makes sense that safety is more generous mm-hmm. with, with what we're doing. I can see how they would keep their operations tight. I can see how they would take keep because uh, how you do things can be a huge competitive advantage, mm-hmm. how efficient you are. It, because we can have similar products or you can have a better product than me, but if I can do it better, which means I can get it to market quicker, faster, mm-hmm. cheaper, more efficiently, I don't need to sell as much as you to beat you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so my, how I do things can be a huge competitive edge. That's one thing we always, we always preach in our operations classes. Like I can't control the market, but I can control how I do things. Mm-hmm. And if I'm very smart and very efficient and, keep my costs down and my waste down and I can keep my margins up. I don't need to sell as much as the next guy or the next girl mm-hmm. to beat them. And they can have a better product and I can still beat them. Right. So I can understand how a company wants to keep that tight. Um, which makes mm-hmm. sense that at the same time, Hey, sa- safety really doesn't necessarily do that for us. Mm-hmm. Like safety doesn't help us gain market it's share. Not a generating revenue no, source but it can help our margins right absolutely. right because it's saving us money mm-hmm. on the back end that that's a concept that um can be difficult to explain at times i mean i think you know when you're talking and you you have mentioned this before when you're talking to different target audiences you have to approach the information differently if you're talking to a cfo or a coo or whatever that right. might be um but the concept that safety pays, this is kind of a concept that we used to preach when I was with OSHA, that there are direct costs to accidents, there are indirect costs to accidents, they can be incredibly expensive, Yeah. but it's not a profit center, so why am I going to throw a bunch of money into this up front, you know? I think a better, safety pays isn't as accurate as safety saves. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that's a good point. Not just saves lives, but saves a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's a great, yeah, you're right. Because that that's that's a total cost when an accident happens. You're never getting it back. It's mm-hmm. a total cost, which there's no ROI on it. Right. Once you have to pay to fix whatever gets fixed, and once you have to pay all the comps and any mm-hmm. legal fees and then, you know, mm-hmm. any payouts. So safety definitely saves that's a good the point. pocketbook. Yeah, that, I 100%. prefer that. Actually, that expression is better. You can parlay it in other stuff, too. Mm-hmm. We should, we should probably copyright that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Cam, can you copyright that for us in the meet while we're doing this? Thanks, man. But that, that is a great point. And certainly the way you express that makes a difference in how people uh, receive that information. Sure. So, and it does save a lot of money. I'm dealing with a client right now that had a a bad accident, unfortunately. And so as we are discussing how to deal with this, how to take care of the employee, you know, there are issues to take care of this employee, make sure he gets the care and treatment that he needs. But, and then there are issues with OSHA. How do we deal with OSHA? You know, that regulatory piece and then the insurance piece and all those other, and you know, time, money. Um, well, I mean, just think about the cost to bring you in. Right. But by, by no means, well, but, but follow me on this one. By no means do I, do I want you to, to, to be out of work, but at the same time, in an ideal world, 
you do want yourself to be out of work. Ultimately, that is the you know what I mean. I I would love to be out of business, yeah, in in respect that the whole country's healthy Mm -hmm. and not overweight and not diabetic, but there's a need for things that I do, there's a need for things that you do, uh, and it's unfortunate. And I mean, the utopia is we we'd be out of work, right? And yeah. any any type of service industry in which we're trying mm-hmm. to take a preventative approach to things, mm-hmm. uh, or or damage control, in, in a lot of cases. But you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the importance of it. So that hey, we can we can potentially eliminate some of these things, right? Uh, some of these costs at the end of the day, and and sometimes they're not a lot and sometimes they're to the point where we'll bankrupt a company mm-hmm. if you're not careful yeah. i mean i'm sure you've seen catastrophic accidents where yes, that, that company's be. not going to recover from that. right they do close down oftentimes they're unfortunately where this because of the lawsuits after the fact wherever it happens mm-hmm. to be but it just is what it is yeah it can be incredibly damaging so that that's an interesting segue I, and i wasn't sure whether i wanted to talk about this or not which none of these segues are planned by the way <laughs> none of this, this is just totally free form stream of consciousness stuff but when you mentioned that, it it leads us to a, a discussion of personal accountability. When we talk about what I do and we talk about what you do professionally, what we are really talking about is um, in the absence of personal accountability sometimes or knowledge mm-hmm. or a combination of both of those, companies, individuals, whatever, need some guidance, some direction. Sure. So when, when, when we have to worry about people hurting themselves at work, uh, that may be because of a lack of knowledge or it may be a lack of personal accountability, perhaps when we're talking about wellness, your right. world, fitness, wellness, health, um, you know, that's kind of the, what embodies yeah. martial arts in large part, you, you know, know this, we, this personal accountability piece, man, um, are, it, it almost seems to me like people are becoming less personally accountable. Is that do you man, see that? That's, man, that's Pandora's box you just that, opened. Well, I, I know, man. But. Um, I, and, and I'm going to broad brush a little bit mm-hmm. here. So so don't attack me mm-hmm. uh, if this no, man, if you I, feel personally insulted because I'm not necessarily talking directly to everybody watching here or, or listening. I, I, I think there's a sentiment across the board that younger generations now are less accountable or they, they take less responsibility for their actions. Um, th- again, that's not across the board, but but I think that's a general sentiment mm-hmm. amongst the older generations. Now, our parents probably said the same thing about us. Sure. But I, I think we're in a world right now where it's more more of a me-centric approach that as long as I get what I want, everything's great, and less uh, cognizant of how I'm affecting others, which, which is kind of funny considering all the movements that are out there about res- respecting other people and and mm-hmm. not offending other people but i think at the same time we've be, almost become more closed-minded in that well i'm okay so i don't care how i affected you in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a mm-hmm. respect so if i make mistakes um i'm gonna point the finger before i'll point it at me mm-hmm. um and again i'm broad brushing but uh a lot of times and, and i think it's this falls on management personally like this is a leadership issue 100 percent, which Everybody's gonna be like, well, you always make it a leadership issue. Mm-hmm. But people take cue, right? Kids take cue from their parents or older siblings. Um, students take cue from the teacher in the room. Employees take cue from the managers and senior leadership. And if senior leadership isn't 
being accountable and taking responsibility, we're crazy to think anybody else will. That's a great point. So when, when, when something happens on the job site, uh, and, and I've talked about this, when something happens on the job site, if I'm the, if I'm, if I'm the manager or the leader, I shouldn't say who screwed up. First words on my mouth should be, is everybody okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, how do we fix this? Now, yeah. and then in my mind, the first question I'm asking is, how did I fail them? Right. Right. Did, wow. did we yeah. not have the procedures in place? Did I not train these people right? Did I set them up for failure? Uh, was this equipment not properly maintained? Like, how did I fail them? That should be the first thing that comes into my mind. Not mm-hmm. who screwed up and fired mm-hmm. them because they didn't follow the procedures mm-hmm. or they're always been a pain in the ass. So to, to me, that's an accountability piece that then filters down mm-hmm. that if I'm willing to stand up and say, okay, we had an accident, everybody. Here's what happened. Um, we as a company failed because we didn't do these things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 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 we are going to fix this. Not Doug. You guys know Doug. He's always half-assing it. And he walked in on an hour's sleep, hungover. And, you know, we knew he was going to get hurt eventually. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. me, that's that's passing the blame. That's mm-hmm. not, I'm not being accountable. And and if I'm not being accountable up top, I can't expect everybody below me to be accountable. I right. Think it just doesn't make sense. Right. Absolutely. That's such a good comment, man. Such a good comment. If you expect employees to step up and take responsibility for things, they need to see you take responsibility sure. when it's a system failure or a company failure. And you're right. The question should be, how did I fail these employees? How did this happen as a result of something that I did or didn't yeah. do? You know? I actually had, uh, That's huge. I worked for a fairly large company in town. I'll keep the name out of it to protect the guilty. They're not innocent, <laughs> right, they're guilty. Right. Um, but it was an IT company and, and I was working and uh, I was working in their, in, in their operations slash command center, whatever you want to call it. And they would routinely the, just the culture of the place that if if somebody messed up, it would, it was always, Hey, one of your people messed up, correct it. That, that was kind of the culture. Hey, they mm-hmm. messed up. And and I heard many times that we're, we're not hiring the right people. We're not hiring the right people. Uh, people are messing up or having errors. We're not hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. And I would say, and it was funny. I eventually left because, because of this culture, but I would get called in the office by my boss and say, one of your people messed up. Um, and I would go, well, what's telling us they messed up? Well, so-and-so on the other shift said they screwed it up. I said, okay, well, what's the standard? What's the procedure they messed up? I don't have time to argue about this. Just go fix it. And yada, yada. I'm like, okay, so we're taking hearsay. People are pointing fingers. How do we know that wasn't, they didn't mess it mm-hmm. up. Everybody's just passing the blame. And at the end of the day, they would, you know, just not, not, Hey, are we training? What happened here? Is it not training? Is the procedure wrong? Uh, was there a misunderstanding of information? Did we have wrong information? It was just that person screwed up, get rid of them or take care of them. So as a result, there was a lot of turnover, mm-hmm. a huge amount of and turnover. a huge distrust and a huge distrust. And there's not, not just in turn with the lower level employees, but that the next level management. And it, w- it was just amazing that, I would always try to say, hey, we need some level of understanding of standardization because we're saying this person messed up, this person messed up, but there's, but there's no standard at which we're mm-hmm. doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just finger pointing. And are we training these people right? And, and there's no standard operating procedures. And I actually had uh, a director level person tell me verbatim, I don't want to hear any more about training. 
There's training out there. They need to go find it. And if they can't find it, we're not hiring the right people. Wow. And I was like, are you really saying it's their fault? And I actually mm -hmm. blurted out, I go, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard, <laughs> which is why I didn't work out, work there much longer. But right. the point was, it's, it's like, well, what do you mean we're not hiring the right people? Like you have to invest in people. Right. You have to admit, yeah, you screwed up, but you screwed up because we didn't train you properly or you're you, setting them we up put for you failure. in a position which you didn't have the tools to do right. it or you were brand new on the system and we threw you out there on an island by yourself or yes looking at the scenario the information led you down this path um or this person you have to acknowledge this person didn't want to take responsibility so he mm -hmm. threw it off on you mm -hmm. but it, it was always pointing at it was the employee's fault the employee's fault they screwed up they screwed mm -hmm. up and the place sucked the work in mm -hmm. it was a toxic environment mm -hmm. to the definition mm -hmm. um and, and the, of course, that company got a reputation. It is what it is. But it, it's such an easy fix. And I got reprimanded because I was told I was making excuses for my people by simply asking the question, well, what's telling me they screwed up? Mm -hmm. So what is the fix? Well, the, the fix is it goes back to that accountability piece. It's going back to, okay, we had something bad happen. Rather than point blame, Let's a make let's fix the problem, right? In the case of the IT world, let's let's get right. it fixed. Or if there's an accident on site, let's get her, make sure everybody's okay, right? And now let's take a step back and say, ask what happened, mm -hmm. okay? And then the next question is, okay, is it something we didn't do or we as a company? could have prevented and most of the time the answer is yes mm -hmm. now yes you and i both know there's idiots out there not mm -hmm. paying attention and dumb people do dumb stuff and, and i hate to say that but it just it is what it is right that happens uh it, it happens people aren't paying attention and mm -hmm. they forgot to tether mm -hmm. off okay yeah that's on that person but at the same time it's like okay uh do we have uh is it habitual people forgetting to tether off now that now to me that's a company problem like mm -hmm. what right are we not getting this message out so we need to step back and say okay we had this accident let's fix it Let's make sure everybody's okay. Now let's step back and start asking a question. How did we cause this? Mm -hmm. right. Something systemically Is in our procedures or training yeah, or something or, or typically. Let I me mean, do we rush this person through training, which we're starting to see now yeah. because everybody's hurting on employees. Are we rushing them through training? Mm -hmm. uh, can't get them on the job site fast enough. Do we have the latest equipment, safety equipment? Um, do we... Is the equipment being maintained properly? Right. Um, it, it could be a number of things that we... That's exactly did. right, man. And that's the first questions that should be asked. Now, if you cascade through that, and at the end of the day, you go, no, that person just forgot to do X, Y, mm -hmm. or Z. Okay, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying you never lay blame or you never... It never to, lands on the employee. To, sometimes it, it does. It never lands on the employee because sometimes it, it truly does. Yeah. They showed up drunk. Okay. Yeah. Clearly, that, or they showed yeah. up high or whatever happens to be under the influence. Mm -hmm. Um. But even then, there should be checks and balances in place where I would ask if, if, I'm, if I'm a senior level manager and I found out this person was intoxicated on the job site, I'm going to go, how did we let him get out there to begin with? Mm -hmm. Or how do we let her get out there under the influence? Right. They had to go by several people. Mm -hmm. Right. Did we have our meeting at the beginning of the day and check in and have our one on one? Did we... Like mm -hmm. at some point, somebody had the cross pass and nobody said something. That's, so to yeah. me, now that's a problem. Yeah. That's where we failed. 
we have a failure there too. Yeah. yeah, it's on them for showing up like that, but we have right. a failure there too. Right. And to me, that's the accountability piece that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. How did we fail? Now, what are we going to do to prevent that from happening mm -hmm. again? This is right? great, man. And that's where you get up and say, okay, guys, we had an accident on the site. Yeah. Joey or Sally showed up drunk and backed over somebody with a forklift. It's terrible. It's tragic. Luckily, nobody got hurt. Okay. But, okay, we messed up. How did we let this person get on mm -hmm. that forklift inebriated? Right. That's something we got to figure out and fix. I admit that, that we need to fix this. Yeah. And now it's now we're taking accountability for it mm -hmm. and not just going, we fired them and it should be fine. Right. Right. Because that's the easy fix. Ah, we is. fired them. It should be fine. And that's fired the typical her. fix in my experience. And, you know, we call this incident investigation. When you do this, if you do have a, if you're reacting to an incident, perhaps something that's happened, either a near miss or an actual injury, something recordable, perhaps whatever that is. We're being reactive or if we've even found something on a job site something hazardous or something that has appeared on the job site and we do some kind of an incident investigation of you know why this happened why it's present you know it's so common for the investigation to stop at well the employee did something stupid and that's where we stop and that's what we write down employee did something stupid the corrective action was told the employee not to do something stupid in the future and or fired the employee. A, yeah, or we fired the employee and we think we've made a change here. But if I think if you drill down deeper, if you ask why, you know, well, why did the employee do that or why, whatever, you'll get to something underlying like you've just described. It's either a procedural issue, a training issue, maybe we've equipped them poorly, whatever right. that is. But there's something that we probably didn't do that led well, in, to that. In the past, if you think about it, now, the environment's a little bit different now with, with the workforce shortage. But in, in the past, what was the easy, cheap thing to do? Just fire the person. Fire them, hire another person. Someone, yeah, fire them, yeah. hire another person. What was more expensive? Taking time to figure out what the problem was, coming up with a new process or procedure, training to it, implementing it. It's just cheaper to get rid of them and get somebody else. And managers don't always like to point the finger at themselves either. No, nobody likes would. to play blame. Leaders probably do. Managers, not necessarily. I, I think you know. I mean, it's People hard. Tend to not like to admit fault. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say oh, I screwed up, All right? Or we we screwed up. Mm -hmm. Um. So because everybody, you know, you get feel like the feeling of being infallible after a while. Mm -hmm. But I, it, it's changing now a little bit because of the workforce shortage, mm -hmm. and you don't want to fire people as quickly because you don't know if you can get anybody to replace the person. It's getting more expensive to bring people on. Yeah. So now it, it kind of begs the question: Hey, okay, what do we got to do to keep people? Retention's huge. Right. So we don't want to fire people, but if there's mistakes happening, now we have to understand, okay, how, what do we got to put in place? What do we got to mm -hmm. change to start preventing this stuff? I, I don't mean to, I just wanted to ask you about, I don't want to change uh, horses in the middle of this stream necessarily, but we're on the subject of personal accountability in your world, in, in the health, fitness, discipline mm -hmm. world. I mean, I was... I listen to podcasts all the time when I'm driving, right? Safety podcasts. I listen to all a variety of different things. I listen to a lot of health and wellness type podcasts. And I was listening. Uh -huh. These these statistics were quoted by the podcaster. I'm going to read these to you. Okay. And I don't want to, this is not necessarily the path that we typically go down, but I just want to, it, it addresses personal accountability. Sure. So in 1960, one in 100 persons were diabetic 1995 one in 50 persons diabetic 2015 one in eight persons diabetic 
the forecast for 2050 is one in three people will be diabetic. Right, and that's diagnosed diabetic. Diagnosed. That's not talking about undiagnosed or what we consider pre-diabetic. Yes. Which is really diabetic. Which is, and right. this, this person went on to say that 70% of diabetics have heart disease or some circulatory issue, oh, 100%. cardiovascular issue. And by 2026, the financial burden to the United States healthcare system will be $650 billion. Right. Now, part of this is personal accountability to some degree, but I mean, part of it is this like, I, I, I just find this amazing that is it just our food culture? Is it, I mean, it's a number it, of things. I mean, people are unaware perhaps of some of these it, things, it, nutrition. It, I mean, there's a lot of moving what's going parts on, man. Here. There's a lot of moving parts. And here's what I'll say. You're not really changing horses midstream because this drastically affects the, the work environment. Absolutely. Because all these people work. All of these. Well, yeah, most right. of them are so in, all the these people work, in the workplace. And they're all bringing these health issues into the workplace. Right. Okay. Right. So, you know, again, when we talk workman's comp, we talk downtime, we talk sick time, we talk out of the office, unproductive time. Mm -hmm. This is huge. Huge. For the workplace. But what's going on, man? I mean, why? So it's a number of things, right? It's easy to say when you, when you look at somebody who is overweight, out of shape, it's easy. Oh, they're just lazy. And... And that may be true to some degree. Um, but there's also, there, there truly are medical conditions out there in which um, people cannot control type 1 diabetics, right? That they're mm -hmm. born with that, right? That's right. not something. To, the majority right. of this is type 2 diabetic, mm -hmm. which, is, which you can argue is self-induced. And acquired. It's, it's a direct re result of eating mm -hmm. poorly mm -hmm. and, and lack of activity. But I wouldn't even say lack of activity. It's more just eating poorly. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, your body can no longer process the sugars that you are taking in. Now, why does that happen? Well, if you really want to do a history lesson, it, it's decades long of misinformation and misunderstanding of how the human body works and what is considered good nutrition. Uh, all of which the dogma of the food pyramid has mm -hmm. been challenged in a major way in the last five to 10 years. Now, what has spawned that? Well, um, the internet, YouTube, um, people with dissenting opinions are now getting their information out. Mm -hmm. And the dogma of the food pyramid, I'm just going to use that as the foundation. Um, and going back to accountability, the medical community does not like to admit they were wrong. Mm -hmm. They hate it. Right. Yeah, that's they hard for hate them. It. And for them to say that, hey, we've been wrong about nutrition all along. It is a tough ask. Mm -hmm. um, truth told, most doctors, and we all like to listen to our doctor, most doctors have next to no training in nutrition. They get maybe one class for a few weeks their entire four years of medical school. And their undergrad, there's maybe one class. Um, how do I know this? Because I just took a nutritional foundations class, and the teacher actually sent out an email. This is an undergrad level class saying, Hey everybody, um, thanks for coming to this class. Uh, as you know, most of you, this is going to be the only nutrition class you get for your entire medical career. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. The fact that you're even admitting that blows my mind. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah. the knowledge, and, and it's not their fault, just the knowledge right. wasn't there because um, Western medicine, we always treat after the fact. We always treat the symptoms and we don't like to prevent. Right. And nutrition is preventative. There's a lot less money in prevention than 100%. there is in treatment. So there's been decades and decades of misinformation of what is considered healthy eating. And in the studies now that were done 
that produce the food pyramid that produce all the nutrition labeling are being challenged mm-hmm. uh and being challenged not just by the medical community but by the psychological community mm-hmm. psychologists now because our mental health has been on the rise for mental decades issues and depression and suicide mm-hmm. continue to rise and treatments aren't working and medicines aren't, aren't working like they would like them to started looking at for what what else is causing this and nutrition mm-hmm. was a natural mm-hmm. place to look so psychologists started looking at the old studies now the beauty of that is you no longer have the people who did the studies looking at them you no longer have the self-looking ice cream cone of the medical community supporting those studies. You have mm-hmm. this third eye psychologist mm-hmm. looking at it and they're looking at it just from a purely, if nothing else, Hey, we want to learn and understand nutrition right. and, and they research as well. So they understand data and research right. and scientific method, they the scientific get method. Well, they're looking at these old studies and go, these are bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're not even real studies. Yeah. They're not randomized controlled trials. It's anecdotal at, mm-hmm. Uh, epi- epidemiological evidence at right. best, right? They're drawing loose conclusions at best. And now they're coming out speaking against it, saying these studies are crap. This isn't, it's not true. And then they're finding out that of all the data, data was selectively omitted on purpose because it didn't support the, the conclusions that they wanted. The conclusions that they wanted. Right, so not only were they bad studies, they weren't even real studies, data was being omitted mm-hmm. that show both sides of it. And the medical community is like, well, what do you guys know? You're psychologists. And psychologists are going, uh, we understand data and we can read. Right, right, right. And so now new studies are starting to come out. Controlled trials are starting to come out. Now, we don't have the controlled trials using humans over the course of decades because mm-hmm. people don't like to do that to humans. Uh, so they're even starting to speak out against the trials that were done with mice and rats because those are genetically engineered animals mm-hmm. that have the metabolism mm-hmm. of 10 times what we have. So it's just not a one-to-one Right, uh, correlation. correlation, yeah. Um, but information is starting to come out. So to bring this back around, how do we get to where we are? Well, it's decades, decades and decades of making decisions based on bad information. Mm-hmm. Decades and decades of just listening to our doctor blindly. And I'm not saying doctors aren't smart, mm-hmm. but we should question doctors. Mm-hmm. Just like you should question everybody else. It's we should participate question. in that. We shouldn't medical. just blindly follow and now we know doctors weren't ever trained on nutrition, mm-hmm. so they were giving nutrition advice, which they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And what we thought was healthy eating wasn't. Mm-hmm. So maybe so personal now, accountability isn't the issue as much as well, that it, information. It, it, that, that, that's the foundation of the problem, mm-hmm. right? And, that, and it's exasperated by a, a number of things, just people not having willpower to not eat the whole box of mm-hmm. Fruit Loops. Yeah, I've, you know what I mean? I've We've all been experience. there. We've all yeah. been there. But... So, so in that respect, there's some personal accountability, but I don't fault people for not knowing because you trust who you think are professionals and experts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you come to find out they necessarily weren't in that particular area. Uh, so that information is starting to come out and you're starting to see there's a lot of headbutting oops, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in, in the medical community and mm-hmm. the psychology yeah, community yeah, in terms of nutrition. It's pretty contentious um, right now. It's incredibly contentious. Um, but I, but I think the truth is starting to surface, mm-hmm. and and the results are so are so maybe to get there undeniable. is hope though. So the piece about personal accountability, whether it be taking care of one's health or one's safety, well being, those kind of things, if people are given the right information, whatever that is. So I'm going to go back. A certain to, percentage of them will probably do the right I'm thing. I'm going to go back to my top down comment. Remember, mm-hmm. I said if leaders aren't accountable, nobody else will be. Well, our medical community has not been accountable. So why do we think everybody following that will be? 
right? That's a good so, point. So until until well they get their ducks in a row and get their act together, you're starting more and more starting to come out. But there's so much contentious, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when people are on both sides, the average person's like, well, I don't know what to believe, and and rightfully so. It's not it's not their fault. Um, until the medical community is willing to admit, yeah, we were wrong, or the American Heart Association will admit, yeah. All the stuff about cholesterol is, is kind of garbage. We were wrong, which they never will. What will happen over time, and it's unfortunate how this will work, is slowly over time you'll see one of these agencies release a new article or a new study and then slowly, Admitting no fault. slowly release another one and slowly right. take down one of the old ones. And over time they'll say, hey, we've been saying this all along. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about, right. but that's going to take it. A decade or yeah. more, yeah, right, because they're fighting against decades of dogma and mm-hmm. they don't want to admit they were wrong and yeah. make that change overnight because one, it'll freak people out, and two, they'll have to wholeheartedly admit that. Um, and and don't let's not sugarcoat it, there's a lot of money involved here. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of money involved in the pharmaceuticals and the drugs and the lobbyists and the food industry because they want to keep selling food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you got studies that say sugar's not bad for you because there's sugars and everything or they want to continue to sell food. Sure. So there's a lot of dynamics going on here. Yeah. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because people get caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, and you, per your numbers, this is the ramification of it. Yeah. Uh, obesity and diabetes continue to rise. Now, that said, that said, the personal accountability piece comes in in which you just follow people blindly without asking questions. Yeah. Uh, people know you should stay active and exercise to be healthier. Uh, people know processed foods and sugar are likely problems. When, when people, I, I do, I do talks all the time about nutrition and people are, I said, do you have any questions? People are like, I, I, I don't understand. It, it's so hard for me. I don't know what to buy and I don't understand what's healthy. And I was like, really, you don't know what's healthy. So I play a game. I put up a slideshow. I'll say, I'm going to put a picture of a piece of food up here. And you just say yes or no. Yes, it's healthy. No, it's not healthy. So I'll put up a piece of salmon. Yes. Broccoli. Yes. Donut. No. French fries. No. <laughs> I go, you don't know what you need to eat? Uh-huh. It's pretty easy, you isn't it? And they all go, oh. I go, you yeah. know what's healthy. You know it's not. Right. Like, Don't tell me you don't. Yeah. At, at a base foundational level. I go, so when you go around the grocery store and shop, play this game, healthy or not. No, skip it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. But here's the problem is that um, our friends at Kloss, mm-hmm. good on them, mm-hmm. have made harvesting of food much easier. And the cheaper foods tend to tend to be less healthy for us oftentimes yeah. oftentimes right mm-hmm. i would agree um and more convenient and more convenient. easier so i understand that you're trying to feed a family of six i understand that the bag of rice and the box of noodles is cheaper and you need to fill bellies i i get that mm-hmm. uh, and and that's a struggle in its own right it is but we can temper that there's smart choices we can make in terms yeah. of healthy foods. Uh, and we could be here all day talking about what's healthy and not healthy. Yeah. That's not the point here. Um, but I, I think there's information out there. People have been misled as to what's healthy, not healthy. And, and that's exasperated the problem. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the way we like to treat people, we'd rather treat the symptom than prevent yeah. and treat the cause. Oftentimes. Uh, because there's a lot of money mm-hmm. in drugs. Um, that doesn't help. 
yeah. either. Rather than get the diabetic to eat properly and lose weight mm-hmm. and get off the meds, we'd rather just push more insulin. I know. It's crazy. And but bringing this full circle, bringing this around to the personal accountability piece, even in our workplaces, um, from a safety standpoint, from a wellness standpoint, information is powerful. And so, yes, again, we go back to this blame the employee thing. If we're not giving the employees the information that they need, the training that they need, sure. the procedures that they need, we can't really blame them and they make mistakes. 100%, we cannot. And, and this is a slippery slope. Remember I said that the health of people does affect the workplace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this is a slippery slope. This is where... Where, where does your realm or your ring of responsibility begin mm-hmm. and end, mm-hmm. right? So am I only responsible for you nine to five when you're working for me or does it extend beyond that? In other words, if you go out and do something stupid and off work, off work, is that my responsibility? Well, we know, we know it is to a point because if you're negatively impacting the company yeah. or, or I have, can't work or have a company can't work in a bad light or people know you're out using recreational drugs when you're off the clock, you know, do I want that? You know, so there's some responsibility. So where does the health and wellness of our employees begin and end? Mm-hmm. Like if I have, if you're my employee, Doug, and, and I know you're diabetic and overweight and do nothing about it, is that my responsibility? I can argue well, yes, because it affects how you work. Yeah, if they can't work or they don't work well or, or they miss a lot, lot of work. Or, yeah. So now do I address that? It certainly has an impact. Do I try to educate you on proper nutrition? Because now it's easy for you to say, dude, you're a construction manager. Don't talk to me about nutrition. Mm-hmm. My doctor said X, Y, and Z. Right. But I also go, dude, you're out yeah. two, out of, two out of every 10 days for health issues. Right. Well, maybe they need to set up a wellness program that includes memberships to Mid-America or something. Well, I think wellness programs need to include education. Absolutely. Without question. Probably uh, the most important piece. And, and what, what's, what, what are healthy lifestyles? What's healthy eating? Uh, what, what is the right amount of fitness and, and activity? Yeah. Um, and, and you can, cre- you can create relief. a culture of healthy eating. Mm-hmm. You don't need the pop and donuts in the break room dude oh so we are running out of time are we out of time we are running out of time but this is a whole nother right it's a whole nother discussion because how many places have you worked or been or heard of workplaces where you go into the break room and there's a box of donuts garbage cookies garbage food there's junk you know whenever you have a birthday celebration there's a cake there's just an endless stream of, and believe me, I love that stuff. Who I love it all. It affects the same part of the brain as cocaine. Absolutely. In fact, <laughs> that's fact. more for me, apparently, yeah, right. you know, but, but, um, it is just, uh, just this constant undermining of our willpower, mm-hmm. you know, constant temptation. And that, that is really challenging. So, Man, we got to wrap it up. We got to have to carry this on to another we one. We can come back in an hour. We'll do it. We'll do the rest <laughs> of this. Good. Have a safe trip. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy it. Indy. What are you doing this weekend? Um, I, I don't know that I'm doing anything, man. I just found out that it was Memorial Day yesterday when That's I was at good. when Ashley told me the gym was closed. Um, I think downtime's huge. Downtime I do think is very so underrated. too, man. And I love downtime. You know, I I don't mind working hard when I'm working, but on my days when I'm not working, I just basically do nothing. I mean, and I, I'm really good at that. <laughs> Interestingly. So my wife will be working a little bit. So on those days, it'll be just me and Chuck hanging out probably. And whatever project she gives you and whatever project she gives. There me. you go. <laughs> Everybody have a great safe weekend. Cam, enjoy your trip, man. I know you're camping. 
Aaron, you're heading out to Indy for the race. Yep. Have a great time. Thanks, uh, everybody, enjoy your weekend. Um, if you do have time off, if you're working, be safe. Um, and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Later. A Huda Media Production.